In most of human history, people have parented the way their parents and grandparents did, with culture providing the cues. We call this Parenting 1.0. For various reasons, parents began to question these approaches, and we started turning more and more to so-called experts to learn to parent. This was the beginning of Parenting 2.0. This allowed for some real advances, but also a lot of confusion as we got further and further away from our natural parenting instincts. Parenting 3.0 is about reclaiming those instincts and integrating them with our current understanding of child development. It brings together the wisdom of the past with the best scientific and psychological research of the present. Parenting 3.0 isn't a fad or a quick fix. It's a set of principles that allows us to engage with our kids and life from an informed and empowered place. I'm Jai Flicker. And I'm Deb Blum. Welcome, Welcome to, to Parenting, Parenting 3.0. 3.0. Welcome back, everybody, to the Parenting 3.0 show. So glad that you're here today, and we are going to be talking today about the six stages of attachment, and we left you last time kind of wondering what that was, and here we are today to fill you in on all the details. So I'm going to pass it on to Jai to take it away and just give us a little bit more background and go deeper into attachment theory in this with this lens today. One of the things that really blew my mind about Neufeld's framework was that he has this, um, it's not just that we attach, there's different ways that we attach and those ways evolve uh, in an ideal situation um, with the first six years of life. Each year there's a different way that becomes possible to attach. He's very clear to point out that most of us don't get all the way through this this uh, progression mm-hmm. without getting stuck along the way. And so um, for me, hearing about this really kind of was it was both interesting, helpful, but also personally illuminating in a somewhat it wasn't challenging. It was just raw. It felt very raw because it was going to such uh, core elements of my own ex- life experience. So, so I think it's helpful to listen to this both through the lens of thinking about a child, but also thinking about one's own childhood. Um, so here we go. Yeah. And I think uh, if you can't, I have a hard time holding both at the same time. Yeah. So you can always rewind and listen again. (laughs) I have a really hard time doing that. Some people are really good at holding both at the same time. For me, I have to like think of me think of my child. I sometimes even have to think about each child separately. Mm, Yeah. And go, yeah. Interesting. I like it. Well, so when we are, when we're born, the first way that we attach is through the senses. And it makes kind of sense because that's kind of all we have at that point. Um, we can we can, we have the grasp reflex. We can we, we have our our reflex to nurse, and that's the lat to latch on, and um, and we um, we recognize our our parents' voices as infants, and um, and and even our the scent of our parents can be soothing. So so this is our first way and and so for me with a two and a quarter year old um when i just want to make sure she's feeling connected and and held 
um, emotionally. I will often hold her physically because I know that that's going to go back down to that foundation of attachment. And I'll just try to not just only physically hold her, but also in those moments when I'm really able to, I'll try to get as present as I can and just be with her and not be thinking about what I'm going to be doing next or um, or anything else. I'll, I'll just try to be with her in a very simple um, kind of just connection. Um, and for me, knowing that that is a really um, primal way of, of providing something helps me settle into it a little bit more. I don't just feel like I'm doing nothing and not being productive, you know, which is, yeah. you know, in this fast paced world, it can feel kind of contrary to our normal mode of action. So, so knowing that that simple presence can just holding is really, really valuable is helpful yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's phase one, stage one, age one. Um, <laughs> and, and so then around age two, the second uh, form of attaching comes online. And this is in, in it's not exact to the day and it's, you know, it can show up a little earlier or a little later, but, but it's sort of a, a rough approximation. But stage two is um, Newfeld calls sameness. And it has to do with mirroring, has to do with the acquisition of speech, uh, of, of hearing something and then saying it back. There's the phrase monkey see, monkey do. And this is, this is really going to the heart of this stage two. So when, when little kids will, um, you know, put, put on big shoes and walk around, they're, they're role playing and, and being you and they're wanting to be like you. And that's a way that they, um, this is why modeling is so useful is because that's a very primal way of of connecting of attaching and and it feels it feels good so even like wearing a similar outfit um can imply sameness and you can see this um in how you know teams will wear uniforms or you know um even fans of certain sports will they'll don the jerseys and and then they'll feel kind of more connected to that person Mm -hmm. and um it part of the um it's part of this idea of sameness now stage three has to do with group identity and so the sports analogy also kind of works for that um where around age three stage three we start to um be capable of identifying with a group with a family with a uh, culture, um, and, and feeling loyal to that group. So our, our sense of belonging and to a group and to, and to feeling loyal to and, and being a part of and taking on the, the values of, of what that group stands for, you know, um, you see the roots of things like, you know, being patriotic or even nationalistic, you know, um, or, you know, going back to the sports analogy, um, really being part of that fan base or, or belonging to a club or, or any sort of identity group identity has its roots in the stage three of attachment. 
Um, I'm just going to keep rolling here. Yeah, keep rolling. So stage four is actually, Newfeld says, is a place that a, a, a lot of people don't ever actually fully get to. Not that they don't get to it at all, but that people, most people get hung up before stage four or at stage four. And I feel like that, that was kind of true for me in some ways. Um, stage four um, has to do with feeling significant, personally significant. And so it's, the, it's, it's, it's a new level of psychological attaching that is more, it, it, it brings with it more vulnerability. If you're just connected with the senses, okay, that's one thing. If you're just, you know, being similar and being part of a group, that's those are uh, those are not as deeply psychological uh, forms of attaching, but feeling significant. And it's not just in the abstract. This is the key distinction. It's not just oh, I feel important. It's that I feel I feel important to you for to to my primary attachment figure, right, or figures, mm-hmm. and that is a really important but really vulnerable kind of attach attachment so um for me right as i was turning four my little sister was born Mm. and so right as i was i I, I, this is why i was so kind of rocked by newfeld's presentation because i started thinking wow like right as my need to feel significant was coming online and i felt very significant to my parents up until then um their the spotlight sort of shifted to the new you know the new little baby that just entered the scene and so i realized why that was such a hard thing for me i mean i think that's mm-hmm. hard at different ages for different reasons but that was it kind of really made sense mm-hmm. so um, I won't go too far into that right now, but that was that's an example of where I feel like I got uh, hung up. And so I had to go back and do some work around stage four in order to really get deeper into stages five and six, which I'll talk about mm. momentarily here. But before I go on, do you want to do you want to add anything or say anything at this point? No, but I do have a lot of curiosity because I I can make up what I would imagine you would do to go back and mm. kind of shore those up, but I want to, and maybe it can just be a future discussion, but it yeah. feels like I would love to go there with you about like what, you know, what kinds of things you did. And then I kind of had that, I, I guess before that I had the question of like, oh, what happens when someone gets hung up? Like, yeah. what does it look like when yeah. someone gets hung up? And so it might be, that just might be a fun episode to do on like, these six stages, what happens when someone gets hung up and then what a, what an adult can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um, and, and just as a sort of foreshadowing sneak preview, I mean, part of what I personally did was I went and I did, I had a session with someone who I felt like could hold the space for me to like go, kind of go in and feel into the part of me that felt unmet in that way and then to experience re-experience that and and release some of the feelings and to kind of communicate with that part of me Mm -hmm. and it was um and it was it was really helpful Mm. it was really helpful (laughs) yeah that little inner child work yeah exactly it really was yeah Mm -hmm. so um 
so if stage four or i should say when stage four gets sufficiently met we will then move through into stage five which if things are going well will happen around age five and newfeld talks about it as giving one's heart away mm-hmm. and um and so he says um at this point you know you'll see all like these expressions of these spontaneous expressions of of love and affection from the child to the parent or to the attachment figure um that are not just saying i like saying i love you not just um because that's something that you do not something that you know oh i love you you know if the parent says i love you and the child says i love you too you know it's sort of a sameness or it could even be like this is a ritual that we do as a family but this is like I sort of joke because it's like there's you know there's that thing of like someone says oh I love you and they're like oh I love you too and they're like they're like no man I, no I love you but <laughs> really love you and it's like that's kind of like the exaggerated mm. form of the stage five where it's like just professing love and mm. like drawing lots of hearts and just you know um, and 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 Newfeld hasn't said the following, but I just can't. It just makes too much sense for me not to think that this there's some connection here, and that is that when we f- are able to take in this significance, this sense of importance to someone, this in particular, we feel so mm. loved that then that's stage four. That then in stage five, there's this um, sort of reciprocation of that mm. like we're so filled that then we start spontaneously expressing mm. actual mm. love mm. so i love that that's really sweet <laughs> i know and i wish i could remember those days more clearly and i'm feeling a little nostalgic and thinking i can kind of remember that like that just big Oh, like like over pour or pouring over their themselves, kind of like an and that resulting in like I guess I, I would say like spilling over with love, mm. and then it outpouring towards me like just I remember them like mm. just running up, you know, running up and just having so much love. I don't have as many memories of that as I wish I did, though I know it happened a lot. You know, yeah. I just know because I I can remember several feeling like they were sort of part of our days like in kindergarten yeah you know yeah so those are sweet moments sweet Sweet moments moments for sure because my 15 and 17 year old they don't usually do that very much right now what i know (laughs) so when i heard this framework for the first time i kind of was like what How, how could there be a stage after that and um but apparently there is. And, and that sixth stage and sort of deepest level of attachment goes beyond just loving and, and giving one's heart away to what Neufeld calls being known. And so this is like deep psychological intimacy. And he describes it in various ways, but um, one way he gets at it is like, um, you know, sharing one's innermost secrets. And so he, he'll say sort of like if you ask, um, you know, a child, like, who's your best friend, especially I've always heard him talk about this in a gendered way with girls. Who's your best friend? The, the, the girl will say, oh, so and so. And if he says, well, how do you know? Like what? You know, it's like, well, that's who I can share my secrets with. 
And so this is one way of getting at what the sixth stage of attachment is. But but being known, and it's like, maybe I, I think of it more as, um, you know, there's we have our, our public selves that we're willing to kind of show most people, but then there's some vulnerable, sensitive, private parts of ourselves that um, not that we're ashamed to show that, or it could be though, but it, it, it also could just be like, it's, it's just a very core part of us that we're, we're not going to just bring out with anyone. And the, the people we bring that side out, that's a deep form of attaching. Mm. So that's, so, so that's stage six. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's like, um, it's rare that people will that that uh, development will unfold so smoothly that we go through all through all six stages for in by age six mm-hmm. and and there's always room for even if we we have gone through them all there's room for deepening in in all the different categories and so it's it's not um um it's not a static concept it's it's there's there's room for deepening and for growth and healing and and all that good stuff right well i mean because like you said you were an adult when you went back and you looked at at some you know at level four stage Mm -hmm. four and then newfeld talks about that he had to go back i forget which one he said but that he you know so i think uh it's freeing to me to not feel like if you didn't get it done in those first six years, then you're oh, you're just screwed. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, yeah, dude, but yeah. you're just no, going to have attachment issues forever. And that I think it's just really helpful. There are two pieces and uh, that I want to say about it. One is that I also don't feel... I know people say things like this, but I really do believe that we can hold the container for our children even when our attachment needs weren't met. Mm -hmm. So it is possible to actually fulfill your children's attachment needs without you being completely, you know, I guess shored up in every way. And at the same time that you can also shore them up. So it's both. So, you you know, there's two sides. Like you you don't have to, in order to uh, have... Uh, held the container for your children however for your own enrichment of your life to be able to live your life most fully there's real value yeah in in going back and trying to find the pockets where maybe you didn't get those attachment needs met absolutely and and i think a good example i'll just use myself since i've already kind of started down that path is that you know i found that I, I always felt a little bit uncomfortable when I was getting off the phone, even with close family. You know, some people just, it would just be like, okay, bye, love you, nice talking with you. And they would say that. And I would always kind of like, and I still even have a little bit of, but, but there was a lot more of that discomfort of like, am I going to say that? Is it, and I would kind of go, why would, why do I need to be that gushing? It's just a phone call. I mean, we talk on the phone all the time. It's no big deal. And so there was like, but there was some kind of hesitancy there. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that after I went back and did this, this sort of healing work around my, my stage four, that, that, stage five did come online more fully and now it's just more natural and not a big deal and it's like why wouldn't i say that that's nice mm. and so there was a way in which um i i could see my own 
evolution happening mm. real time. Mm. And it wasn't like an again an all or nothing thing. It wasn't like I couldn't and, and never expressed love or or would never say I love you. It was just it became more comfortable, more natural, more mm. free flowing. Mm. And I think even then it progressed to stage six for me where I just there was a way in which I became more comfortable opening up. Mm-hmm. And that was, it felt really raw and vulnerable at first and scary and then, but also kind of good. Mm-hmm. To, and, and, I, and that was like me finally reaching that stage in a deeper way and then like leaning more into that, um, continued to feel good and less vulnerable, more comfortable and just, I think, made for a richer life, a richer yeah. experience. So this is just one person's journey with you know with working with some of the with this construct but i just i've i have found it to be personally very helpful i'll say that yeah well thank you for sharing that and i actually it's really helpful for me and there's a way that i'm i have not looked at that in this framework Hmm. so i don't when i was like when the kids were young and I thought of myself practicing attachment theory, but it was actually probably more attachment parenting, I didn't have a lot of the theory behind me and I didn't know these things. And so I didn't watch my children go through, I can only in retrospect see places and my brain is, even in this conversation, I'm kind of going like, oh, did they, did I, do I remember that? Do they do that? You know, where where are they, you know, where are their like gaps and holes? Sure. And, um, so I'm practicing some self-compassion too at the moment, just to, you know, just because I'm not sure, you know, and I'm wondering with the kids, just like what, you know, what, like where are they? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's one thing. But I will say I've done a lot of work around inner child and going mm-hmm. back and mm-hmm. like taking a look at places where you know it's hard for me to be fully myself or maybe be as expressive and and um, but I've never looked at it this way and I'm sort of inspired to go back and look at the the you know the six stages and just say well. What places might I have gotten a little stuck? Where do I do, need to do a little bit of work? Because my, I think there are a lot of people who really feel that they don't feel like they can completely show up as themselves. They don't feel like they are they um, have permission to be known that much, you know. Or there's some way that maybe like. That, that sense of um, maybe it's even at four, you know, the, the significance place. Have I ever really been significant to someone? Am I significant to myself? You know, because ultimately I think that's what we have to be is do I feel significant to myself? And I think that there are probably a lot of people who are struggling with this. I know there are a lot of people who are struggling with this. And then, but that to see it in this way yeah, and to actually make it more just normal. Like it's okay. It's okay. This is it doesn't have to be pathologized here. Like this yeah. isn't a yeah. a sickness. This is just like oh my gosh, look at that. That probably didn't happen for me. Oh, but there's actually a way to be able to actually clean that up a little bit. Yeah, and fill in those gaps. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what I'm thinking about is because you know with with this day and age, if we do shift our focus a little bit towards kids. And I'm thinking about teens right now, about Instagram and about social media, right? Mm-hmm. 
And it helps, this, this framework really helps to explain some of the, the drive there. So if you, so, and this was one of these mind blowing things, well, of, among many that Neufeld offers. And he says that when, um, and I'm gonna use the need for significance, cause I think it is, I don't know if this is just cause I, since I got stuck there, I feel like it's a common place where people get hung up. I think it is. I think but it's I, a very, I, think I it's get both. the sense it's a very common place. Yes. But so Neufeld says that when we, if we don't get that need fully met, which is like very common, it becomes depersonalized. And what that means is instead of us wanting to feel like we matter to this particular person or these few attachment figures, we'll just want to be significant in general. And so then we start seeking to you know find ways to feel important. And this can lead to sort of this is what this can lead to sort of a narcissistic thing or a self-importance and or or just an attempt to sort of just get attention from anyone. Yeah. And I think, you know, social media really lends itself to that depersonalized attachment, right? Because it's sort of like even like sort of the you just just the desire to be sort of famous right mm-hmm. and even in a small kind of way he's like i want to be sort of adored by the masses or to be popular is another uh, that that was definitely a, a way that it manifested for me i wanted to be popular i wanted to be well liked i wanted to be sort of significant to just a bunch of people because i i knew that that was missing and so i thought well if everyone likes me then that's going to be about as good as you can be right yeah but the 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 truth of the matter is is no this is why we see so many famous people self-destruct is because no amount of depersonalized adoration actually satisfies the need to matter to someone yeah yeah so so from um from a parental perspective let's say if you're out there and you have a a teenager and 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 I see this more with girls than with with boys but it could be either one um and you see your your child sort of seeking attention more than you feel like is healthy but you don't know what to do with about it um one one place to start is to is to start communicating on a regular basis and being very explicit about how much your child matters to you Mm. and that can that can take lots of different forms but communicating that message um explicitly can activate the attachment connection and start to fulfill that and all of a sudden the 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 hunger to to get that sort of depersonalized um significance will just go down because mm. they're gonna be more full. It's mm. not like, it, and it, it might not change overnight, you know, right? right? But it's 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 just a really good place to start. So, makes me think, and I have no idea because I am not even a fan of this body of work. Okay. But it makes me think that in that place there might need to be some exploration around like your love language, like because sometimes like if you are mm. telling, if you're using words to tell your child that they're significant depending on what age they are and 
possibly even what gender they are, I'm not sure. Like there can be a way that maybe um, maybe they need to feel they're significant by you showing up at things. Like so it might mm. be like it might be like they need you to go to their games and go you know go out of your way to do that, or maybe they need you to um, do something for them. Like at one point. I did actually, I did the the love language quiz with my older son, and hmm. it was helpful for me because hmm. I just didn't quite know what really mattered. And he really likes when I do things that are, you know, like if I if I go out of my way to do something for him, that really means a lot to him, and well, he it, feels it, like it, it, he matters. That's what I was gonna say. It seems like if you if you do something, it's like it's showing that that he's a priority. And yeah. when someone someone is made a priority, it's hard to not feel like that person yeah. matters, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. that's I think that's a great point. Yeah, because I think with him, if I were to be using words like words of affirmation, there I think when they were young, they really did value that, you know. Uh, but when they got as they got a little bit older it was not really being received in the same way yes you know so i had to just pay attention to the ways that they did know that's a that really I'm good mad, point they yeah. mattered to me well and and what can happen and i think not can but often does happen is that receiving that uh, that very explicit affirmation can be almost too much mm-hmm. it can and so if 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 a teen or any age i was going to say kid but really an age person is defended against that vulnerability because it's just it feels too raw and then you come in with your guns blazing like oh my god you matter so much you're the most you just you know that could just be too much to take in so yep I think the the image of like you know if somebody's been really starving I mean like really starving you can't just go here's a meal you gotta like (laughs) you know (laughs) I need a little bit you just start with a little saltine and build up from there it's like I think there's a, a, a gradual nature to this that is helpful and and it could just be you know you and and you sneak it in you know, where you just put your arm around and go, you matter, you know, you, you, I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah. Well, like, like, the, like a lot of people will say now it's things just like saying things like, um, I just am so happy you're part of our family or I just love having you in my life or I'm just yeah, so happy yeah. that you're, and, and I think those are really important things. And I think that there are. I think that as I as we keep having the conversation about it, there is some way that I'm feeling like, you know, to, to keep going back to that there also isn't a level of action because the other thing that can happen is that we have... There we isn't can be, a level? No, that there needs to be a level oh, of oh. action. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we can also become so oriented around words and we might be really good at using words, but our actions don't back up our words. And so... The child hears it, but stops believing it because 
the the parent because we as parents aren't showing up for the things that do matter so it kind of goes back to like if i'm always saying to my kid you're so important to me i love you so much that, you know i'm so glad you're part of our family but i forget to pick them up at school and i you know and i don't show up at their games and i can't make time to sit down and hear what they have to say to me and i don't listen to them the child senses the incongruence between your words tell me that I matter, but your actions aren't showing that I matter. Yeah. And so there's got to be something in that stage four <laughs> that requires like a little, it, uh, as we get older, if I, so I don't understand exactly how the stages work to know, like, as we get older, you know, if we like deeply entrench that in four, then is that just great? Or, you know, aren't we always wanting to feel significant? Like, how does that work? And how does it work like... You know, when you have that that child who's like, you know, the 15-year-old the who's like, yeah, mom, I know that you say that to me all the time. You love me. I know that about you. And, but, you know, in his head, he's saying, but like, if I really matter, you, if I really mattered, you would do this. Like yeah, you would be, yeah. you would actually, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know? Well, what, what comes to mind is, is there's a way in which I could imagine if I'm listening to this conversation myself and I'm being exposed to this for the first time and I'm thinking about my child who's now 10 or 12 or 15, whatever, I could think, oh my God, I got to go out and, 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 and make sure I communicate that they're significant, right? Mm -hmm. But what your, your point brings up for me, which I think is so important, is like if there is a, a discrepancy between the words and the actions, that's not going to work. And so rather than trying to kind of communicate that my child is important to me verbally, I want to think about how can I embody Mm. my true sense of how significant mm. they are mm -hmm. what is that what is that what is the most authentic way for me to express mm. how much my kid matters to me mm -hmm. and it might be that i can imagine a, a, a scenario and i'm sure this happens often where the parent knows that deep down nothing matters more than the child that's like, Absolutely. but, but I'm so busy with just adult life and work and maybe earning, you know, a living that, um, it just, the, the manifestation of that just doesn't happen. And, and so, but, but, but I think the key is that the, that's not just knowing that secretly in the heart of hearts. I mean, that's better than not having that secretly in the heart of hearts, you know, but that feeling, but the, the, the act of communication and expression and embodiment of that sense is necessary for the child to really receive it. You know what I love about that is that it, it's freeing because really everything we do is about embodying it. I mean, there, we, we, we overemphasize words and even like what we think are the right actions, but the truth is that we don't always get it right because like I might cook 
I don't even know why I picked that because that's a funny one because I don't. But let's pretend that I <laughs> let's pretend in a hypothetical, in a hypothetical fantasy world. No. <laughs> right in a hypothetical fantasy world, I make dinner every single night. But let's just pretend that I do, and then my kids don't care about that. They don't really value it. And I think I'm like the person who comes home every day and cooks a meal. And I do this because I love you. But the kid doesn't really care because they just want mac and cheese. And they're just like, it just doesn't really matter. It doesn't register yeah. in that way. So there are ways that it's like, it, it, it is possible we do things that don't get received by the other person as the loving thing that we're intending it to do yeah. to be. But they still are feeling our love. You know, when we embody the significant, that, that we believe, that we feel that they're so significant, they do actually experience experience that. There's so much nonverbal that happens that just is by the the act of, you, of us intentionally like owning, like how significant our children are to us. And that when we do things, it's actually like, like steeped with, that significance that energy of significance yeah 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 and it feels different Mm -hmm. it feels different i i i I notice with my two-year-old that when i slow down when i settle in and i just am present that it's not just that i'm sort of selflessly being of service to her or helping her get her attachment needs met it's that i feel the attachment connection kind of activate yeah and and it actually fuels me it energizes me and so there's a way in which i think and and there's so much there's so much to talk about that we're not going to get to in this particular episode this is more of an introduction to attachment Mm -hmm. theory than a comprehensive uh um coverage of it but um that that energy that attachment energy actually i think is is a big part of what fuels me to be close to closer to the parent that i want to be um and without that i think i would be um it would parenting would be much much harder so that does it for part three of our attachment series um, please join us next week as we dive into what could be an actually controversial topic uh, and it is uh, about how the parent-child relationship in order to be effective and healthy has to be hierarchical (laughs) it's uh it it was hard for me to um stomach when i first heard this but um the more i understood what what was behind this this came straight from gordon newfeld and the more i understood what he meant by that the more i realized how essential it is um and how so many parents who um have a high value of of equality and of democracy even and of respecting their children miss this nuance and it leads to all kinds of problems people are struggling with this so much so we're going to talk all about it in part four of our attachment series yeah and for the people who think 
Um, of course it needs to be hierarchical, even for the people who ooh, do believe ooh, in it. There's yes. reason to listen because I think it's a little more nuanced than maybe most of us might think about. We might think that there's either the dominant kind of hierarchical or there's no hierarchy. Yeah. And we're inviting you to consider that there's something far more nuanced and really interesting. I think yes. just really interesting. Yeah, and helpful. And helpful. Oh, um, yes. So, yes. So join us next week as we explore the loving alpha. Yes. And if you are enjoying this podcast, we would really, really appreciate it if you would rate it and review it. And also if you would share it with other people, because, you know, the only way that we can all become better parents is really if we're helping each other. And so sharing with someone else that you know might benefit from this would be really great. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks so much. See you next week. See you next week. Bye.